Lord, we do, uh, as a church, that we declare that we trust in you. Lord, we don't always know what is going on in our lives. We don't always know the why, but we know who you are, and you are trustworthy. You are good. You are wise. Lord, you do see the end from the beginning, and yeah, Lord, we're finite. We don't see very well. And so, Lord, it, it puts us in a posture of trust and dependency upon you, which is exactly where we want to be. And so, Lord, I pray, especially in this season where we're not sure what our next step should be, Lord, would you continue to guide us and make it clear or give us discernment, give us wisdom and dependency upon you. Lord, I pray as we look at this important topic of friendship that you would use your word to be our guide and our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been here for uh, just a short amount of time, you know that the normal preaching diet here at Pennington Park Church is expositional preaching, meaning we uh, look at books of the Bible, we walk through them uh, verse by verse. And we preach that way uh, because we believe that is the most faithful way uh, to teach God's Word, and it's also the most beneficial, helpful way uh, for us to understand and learn God's Word. However, on occasion, a couple times a year, uh, we pause from whatever book that we're looking at, and we look at a specific topic within the Christian life or uh, a theological issue, and we spend a few weeks taking a deeper dive. Sometimes this topic surfaces as we're walking through books of the Bible. We see something, and we say, ah, we need, we need further study on that particular topic. And that is certainly the case as we've been walking through 1 Samuel and the topic of friendship. Specifically, in uh, chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, which we looked at just a few weeks ago, uh, we were first introduced to this beautiful and powerful friendship shared between David and Jonathan, Saul's oldest son. In fact, if I asked you this morning, hey, give me an example in the Bible of friendship, I guarantee most of us, if not all of us, would list David and Jonathan maybe at the top or at least top three. And, and rightfully so. We, we saw this description of their incredible friendship a few weeks ago, that their, their souls were knitted together as one. They were one in spirit. They experienced this deep love and, and loyalty and this expressed covenant commitment toward one another. Jonathan even selfishly sacrificed his right to be the heir uh, to the throne and transferred his rights to David. This is an unbelievable picture of friendship. It's powerful and, and it's special. And this friendship is going to become a major theme throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan's relationship. And as we move through 1 Samuel, it's going to, to stir up this desire within us to have what they had, to look at how special it was, how powerful it was. It's going to challenge us to consider what is biblical friendship and how are we to experience it? And so before we kind of take a deep dive into their friendship over the next several weeks throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, I want to spend the next three weeks looking at this topic because it's going to help us in 1 Samuel, but also because it's deeply practical. All of us in this room have friends or relationships of some kind, and the Bible has a lot to speak on this topic. So next three weeks, we're going to look at this topic through the lens, through three different lenses. Uh, today, we're going to look at the need for Christian friendship, and then next week, we'll look at a portrait of friendship, looking at some key elements, aspects to friendship 
And then thirdly, how to cultivate friendship in our lives. Put my cards on the table this morning. Part of my aim in this series is not only to provide a biblical perspective on friendship, but I also want to provide a compelling vision, a compelling picture, if you will, of friendship in the scriptures so much that you say, I want that, or I want more of that, or I want that more deeply in my life. Now, inevitably, uh, even got this after the first service, some are probably thinking right now, why friendship? (laughs) Well, there's so many topics in the Christian life. There's so many things I could preach on. Why this topic? It seems so random. I'm so glad that you asked. Here are four reasons uh, why uh, we're gonna look at this topic. Here's uh, number one, is that biblical friendship is a neglected topic in the Christian life. It's very neglected. In fact, you know, we, we do a decent job teaching and preaching on discipleship, biblical community, talk a lot about fellowship, being known and embraced here at this church, but admittedly, not so much on friendship. I mean, when was the last time you heard a sermon in person, a sermon on friendship, if at all? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of us could actually define Christian friendship. Or how many of us could articulate the difference between Christian friendship, two Christians who have a friendship, and then two unbelievers who have a friendship? What's the difference between those two relationships? I mean, because it's not often taught in the church, there's there's a lot of confusion about what it is, how to experience it, and even what is the relationship between Christian friendship and biblical community, and even Christian fellowship. Are they the same? Are they different? Are, re- are they related? And if so, how? There's all kinds of implications to this topic. And again, one of the things I want to show us in this series is that Christian friendship is not only deeply practical, but it is theological. The Bible has so much to say on this topic. And before we can apply it practically, we must understand it biblically. And in my effort to preach on the whole counsel of God, I want our understanding of friendship to be theologically informed and also biblically grounded. But secondly, here's another reason we're looking at this series now is because we are more connected and feel lonelier than ever. There is an alarming epidemic of loneliness sweeping across our country. In fact, just a few weeks ago, a report was released by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And it highlights the concerning pervasiveness of this issue. It revealed, I think quite shockingly, that even before COVID, approximately half of the adults in this country reported experiencing noticeable levels of loneliness, 50% of the adults in this country, this is before COVID, so we can probably assume it's higher post-COVID, that one in two of adults are saying, I struggle with loneliness. I struggle with isolation. And this loneliness epidemic, or, or social disconnection, if you will, has devastating physical implications, This report revealed that it can lead to a a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% heightened risk of a stroke, a staggering 50% elevated risk of developing dementia among older adults. 
Furthermore, the lack of, of meaningful connections has been linked to a heightened risk of premature death. This, this idea of isolation and loneliness is comparable to the dangers of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's quite staggering when, when you think about the implications of not having close friends. Mother Teresa commenting on this widespread sense of isolation, she, she spent much of her life with destitute people in Calcutta. She saw her fair share of suffering. She said this, that the worst disease was not leprosy, it was not AIDS, and it was not cancer, but loneliness. Isolation, she says, was the worst. People not having these deep friendships, these deep relationships with other people. And it got me wondering, like, why? Why is loneliness so pervasive? Like, I thought we solved this issue with our technological advances. Isn't that the purpose of social media? Right? Isn't, isn't social media supposed to solve the problem of lacking friendship? Doesn't the majority of us in this room have dozens and dozens, some of us hundreds, some of us thousands of Facebook friends? We don't struggle with loneliness, right? Well, one sociologist said this about our time. He said, in the last few decades, we've just lived through a dramatic pace of change. We move more, we change jobs more often, and we are living with technology that has profoundly changed how we interact and talk to each other that you can feel lonely even if you have a lot of people around you because loneliness is about the quality of your connections. See, technology provides a high quantity of connections but is unable to nurture high quality of friendships. Now, look, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti the internet. I think that there are redeemable ways to use those tools for the kingdom, but there are also plenty of dangers. And technology, I think, promises us more connections without actually delivering on that promise. That these online platforms for connections actually leave people feeling more lonely and isolated. And I think part of the reason for that is because of what I would call the illusion of intimacy. This illusion of intimacy is created when you're online, you're on these different platforms, social media, and you're interacting with lots of people. You're connected to a lot of people. You've got so many likes on your Instagram posts and so many friends on Facebook that it creates this illusion that you have friends that people actually know you. And yet the reality is, is that those people don't actually know you. They only know the, the filtered version of you. They only know what you choose to post, what you choose to say on the internet. They don't really know your struggles and your fears and your anxieties and, and your worries. No, that, that's not the pretty stuff of me. So I'm not gonna post that on the internet. I'm gonna keep that hidden. And yet it's this illusion that we are connected, that we do have friends, that people actually know us without that truly being the case. You have a thousand Facebook friends, and yet it's very possible at the same time to have zero of them know the true version of yourself. I think technology superficially connects us 
while at the same time, it provides these barriers to truly experiencing what's necessary for biblical friendship. The platform of technology can only take us so far. Technology also, I think, provides a distraction. I think we can all uh, admit that. You can go to any restaurant, really any public venue for that matter, just, just look around. And what you'll notice are a group of people who are sitting together, but they're ignoring each other, right? They're on their phones, they're on their technological devices, whatever it is, and they're not conversing together. I think that is a huge problem and a barrier for friendship, okay? So you just take a step back. These first two reasons, you could sum them up this way, that my theory is that we are being discipled far more by technology and social media when it comes to friendship than what the Bible actually says. And that is a problem, and that is something that is even happening in the church. That because of widespread loneliness that many people experience, even in the church, which is something I'll talk about in this series, and the distraction of technology, look, we need this series to give us a picture of flourishing, life-giving, true friendship. Reason number three that we're in this series is that there is an unhealthy busyness and the exhaustion that comes from that busyness that leads many to, uh, to settle for an underdeveloped frentimacy. Uh, that word is, is being borrowed. I'm borrowing that from an author. Um, but what I mean by that is that far too many of us are, are settling for less than what God desires for us in this area that connecting with someone outside of your family deeply is becoming so rare today, that so many people are settling for shallow acquaintances that's built on little more than just shared interests. There are hardly anybody that has these close, deep, life-giving friendships. And if they do have some sort of relationship, there's a degree of superficiality that would characterize them. I can't tell you how many people I know that they don't verbally say this, but you look at their lives and they basically say, I'm good. I don't need friendship. This isn't something that, that, that's required of me as a Christian. I've got my mom or, or I've got my brother or, or I, don't, I don't really need this. I, I just go fishing and I'm good. Or I just work on my car alone and, and I'm happy, I'm satisfied. Then This really isn't something that's required of me or, or I'm an introvert or whatever the case may be. I think, some of what's behind that is the busyness, the, the pace that we live in and the exhaustion that comes from that that leaves very little room for deep, meaningful friendship. It really might be the number one reason I hear from people who don't have close friends. They say, I don't have the time or I don't have the energy for it. Like when they're truly being honest, they look at their schedules and it's like, where would you fit a deep, meaningful friendship in that schedule, in that pace? And where would you have the energy to, to, to actually pour into someone else's soul? So as a result, I think there is this underdeveloped frentimacy, which is intimacy within that friendship where you might have a lot of relationships, but you're lacking what's necessary in order to go deep in each other's souls. And so what, what we often do is, is we just stay on the surface with people. We're polite, we might get together with people, but, but we hold one another at arm's length. 
We don't truly let them inside. It's just more comfortable to stay on the surface. Relationships might be a a mile wide, but they're an inch deep. In her book, Find Your People, uh, Jeannie Allen, she talks about this idea of of frentimacy, and she lists a couple of, of ways that you can determine if you're lacking in this area. She says, number one, if you don't have people that you experience unscheduled and unhurried time with who feel like family. Or number two, you have something to celebrate or grieve, but no one to celebrate or grieve with. Number three, you're dealing with a difficult situation, but you can't think of anyone safe that you can talk to. Number four, you you can't remember the last time that you truly opened up to someone face-to-face who was genuinely listening to you hearing your fears, hearing your struggles, hearing your joys and your hurts and so on. Look, my guess would be that some in this room, it's probably more than you think, who struggle with frentimacy. And so in this series, I, I wanna remind us that, that God calls us to something more than just half-hearted friendships and lukewarm connections, that he's calling us something to something, something that's profound and sacred and intimate. And then fourthly, here's the the fourth reason for this series, is that friendship is more often idolized than truly experienced. We've all heard of the the TV show Friends, right? It aired in the 1990s, extremely popular show. It featured these six uh, single adults throughout uh, New York. Again, extremely popular. There's all kinds of reasons why people think the show was such a big hit. Some people point to the title of the theme song, I'll be there for you. And that resonates with people so much that they want that so badly. That's what people are drawn to. And they actually interviewed the character Ross, David Schwimmer, who uh, was asked about the show's success and why. And he said this, he said, it's a fantasy for a lot of people, having a group of friends who become like family. Calls it a fantasy. That's what draws people in. And I think that's so accurate, even with people within the church and how we often think about friendship. It's it's something that we long for. It's something that we fantasize about, but very few of us actually experience it. That we, we look at that and we so deeply desire it. And at times it creeps into wanting it so badly that we can idolize it more than actually experience it. And we can actually look at other people who have deep, meaningful friendships. And we so desperately want that, that our hearts can become filled with jealousy or covetousness or even envy. Why? It's because friendships become an idol, a good gift that we've made ultimates. Or if you do have close friendships, it's easy to idolize friendship. It's easy to elevate our friends to the same place as God. Where God's not our highest place of refuge, our friends are. Where God's not the standard of morality, our friends are. Where God's word, God's voice doesn't drive and dictate how we live, our friends do. And so we need to be careful how we think about friendship. We need a right, healthy, biblical view of it so we can properly value it and then experience it within God's good design. Now, in order to really set up this series well, I want to take just a couple of moments here to actually define and describe biblical friendship. What is 
friendship. It's actually more challenging than you might think, and it's partly because of the world around us has skewed its meaning. Like marriage, like love, like identity, and a host of other things, friendship has become muddled because of the world's influence. Just think about movies for a moment and, and how often movies depict what friendship should be like. Or think about uh, popular lines in movies where they say friendship is this or friendship is that. So much of the entertainment world has shaped our understanding of friendship rather than what the Bible actually says. Let me give you a couple of examples of, of popular lines about friendship in movies. I've eliminated the, the really bad and unhealthy ones. These are the best ones that I could find and they still fall short. And some of these are from kid movies for obvious reasons, but Winnie the Pooh. Right, Pooh says, good friends will help you until you're unstuck. Right, That's pretty good, pretty basic, but yeah, I can get on board with that. Or um, Olaf in Frozen. Some people are worth melting for. Thank you, yes. Right, okay, you know, maybe we can preach on a little bit, I don't know. Um, how about uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Sam DeFrodo about the ring. He says, I can carry it for you. Or he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you, right? It's a good picture of, of a decent friendship or from It's a, a Wonderful Life. Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends, right? You look at these quotes and there are many more, but there's bits of truth in each of them. And yet they don't quite get at the heart of how the Bible describes Christian friendship. So what do we mean by Christian friendship? Here's the best definition I've come across. This is from Jonathan Holmes, his book, The Company We Keep. Um, we brought Jonathan Holmes in actually last winter. He did a, a weekend seminar on sexuality and identity. And his book on friendship is really, really good. But he says this about friendship. He says, biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. It is indispensable to the work of the gospel in the earth and an essential element of what God has created us for. I appreciate this, uh, this definition, this description of friendship for two reasons. Number one, I love the emphasis on intentionality and vulnerability. I, I love what that implies, that to have biblical friendship, you have to be intentional. It takes work. It doesn't just happen. You just kind of fall into biblical friendship, but it also tells us that it gets messy. It does take intentionality. But secondly, I love the, the emphasis on vulnerability or the, the bearing of your soul with another. It tells us that friendship biblically is not a relationship that stays on the surface. And this also, by the way, uh, helps us to understand why biblical friendship differs. It's related to, but it's different than biblical community. Because you can't bear your soul, you can't be vulnerable with everybody in your biblical community, only a few. But the other reason why I love this description, this definition by Jonathan Holmes, is the emphasis on friendship not being an end in itself, right? Friendship is a means by which we grow in Christ. So it's not a destination. So there's this Christ-centered reality to biblical friendship 
that separates Christian friendship from a friendship that two unbelievers experience. Because when Jesus is truly at the center, that will lead to true intimacy and true depth. So you can have friends that laugh together, friends that, that, that have fun together, friends that share things in common, friends that take off the mask and, and share the real you. But biblical friendship is more than that. Biblical friendship is when two people come together and they prioritize their growth in Christ. That they say, look, we're both on this journey of looking more and more like Jesus. I'm gonna help make sure that you're not doing it alone. That we're gonna do this together and we're gonna do it intentionally and we're even gonna do it with vulnerability. Right? The best friendships, I think biblically, are those that steward their deep bond and intimacy, even having fun together, kind of seeing the real you, they're stewarding all of those pieces, but they're saying that's not the end of friendship. All of those beautiful pieces are a means by which we can help each other grow and look more and more like Jesus. So if you're in a relationship with somebody, a friendship, and you sit around and just talk about football and never talk about growing in Jesus, that's not Christian friendship. If you sit around with, with your friends and talk about shopping or parenting or, or politics, but never talk about Jesus, that's not Christian friendship, right? Christian friendship, biblical friendship is a means by which we grow in Christ. Now there's another element of biblical friendship that I wanna to speak to um, briefly here, and that is, and, and this will speak into our understanding of biblical community, there are different categories of relationships. This, I'm just gonna state the obvious here, but it, it bears mentioning. You won't be close friends with everybody, and that's okay. In fact, your close friends will change over time, and that's okay. Proverbs 18, 24 says that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a lot in this verse, we'll hit on it more next week, but the one idea I want to take from this verse is that even Proverbs distinguishes between having many companions or many friends and then a close friend. There are different categories of relationships, especially in and within your biblical community, and that's okay. That's actually really healthy to understand that. In fact, here's an image uh, that might help us visualize Proverbs 18. This is, um, some of this is from uh, Drew Hunter, but he kind of talks about these four uh, concentric circles of relationships or four rings of relationships. I think it's so helpful to understand that outer ring uh, make up your impersonal relationships. This is probably the majority of people that you, uh, that, that you see or interact with uh, on a day in or weekly basis. And then a ring inside of that are your acquaintances and then your casual friends. And then right there in the middle, it's, uh, it's your close friends. And what's important to understand is that the difference between these relationships or these rings is not the kind of relationship, but it's the degree of closeness that you experience within that relationship. So as you move closer and closer and closer into that inner ring of that inner circle, you're gonna have fewer and fewer people in there. That perhaps at a given point in time in your life, you might only have two to five people in that close friend's inner ring. Depending on how you're wired, depending on the season of life, you might have more than five, you might have less than two, 
You might even go through seasons where you don't have any. And that's just the season that you're in. That's not a very healthy season that you're in, but you might experience at times not having close friends. I've also heard uh, relationships described as these four highway or four lanes on a highway where the far right lane is, the, it's the impersonal, the impersonal relationships that you have. And then the middle two are your acquaintances and your casual friends. And then the far left lane uh, are your close friends. And as you're driving in the car of your life, you might have one or two best friends that are in the car with you. But again, the majority of your relationships are in that far right lane, those impersonal relationships. And the more that you go towards, the less the fewer and fewer people that you actually have. And what's helpful about that metaphor is that as you go through life and different seasons, different cars, different people, they're going to turn on their blinker. They're going to turn on their turn signal and they're going to change lanes. And that's okay. That's part of relationships. They're dynamic. They're not static. So you might have an acquaintance that changes lanes and moves into your close friend lane. That's awesome. It's beautiful. But then you might have a close friend who, for whatever reason, moves out of your close friend lane and into a different lane for various reasons. And God, in his sovereignty, he brings different people into our lives at different seasons for different lengths of time and at varying degrees of intimacy. And that's okay. But the big piece to this, the big push, is that you and I, we need friends in that inner circle, in that close friend ring. One of my goals in this series is to persuade those who are here today, and you would say, friendship's really not for me. Like close friendship, like, uh, no, I, I got my dad, I got my mom, or I got my brother, I got whatever, I'm an introvert, whatever the reason might be, but you basically view Christian friendship as optional in the Christian life. This, this attitude of if it happens, it happens, but it's not really a priority. I, I want to persuade you in this series to, and, and, and help you understand that the theme of friendship actually takes us right to the heart of the Bible that this is so theological and it's so hardwired into the DNA of who we are as an image bearer of God, that it's actually a non-negotiable in order to be a flourishing Christian. In fact, in the opening chapters of Genesis, right? In the very beginning, we are introduced to our creator God. And we are, cre we are introduced to our creator God who is deeply relational, in fact, he eternally exists in this perfectly loving relationship with each member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why that's important is because according to Genesis 1.26, you and I are created in God's image, which means we are relational beings. We are uniquely created to relate with God and with those around us. That's how, we're, that's how we're wired. Genesis 1.26, God, who, the Trinity, they're speaking to each other. It says, let us make man in our own image, right? And so out of that, God has created us in order to be relational beings. So God has made you for friendship. He's made you for vertical friendship with him, but also horizontal friendship with others around you. 
Again, this is built into the DNA of, of you as an image bearer. And so part of my challenge is to understand friendship as not just icing on the cake in the Christian life, but this is something that should be pursued and cultivated and cherished. Again, going back to the, the creation account, you've got God who creates Adam, and after he creates Adam, what did he declare? Well, let me give you a hint. The, the first five days as he's creating, he's creating this, he's creating that, he's creating this. Each day he's saying, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. He creates Adam, and what does he declare? It's not good. There's something missing here. And it's not because God made a mistake with Adam. No, he was in this almost perfect state. But there was something missing as it relates to human relationship. Tim Keller says this about that. He goes, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. This is before the fall. But because he was perfect, the ache for friendship is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is the one ache that is actually part of his perfection. This is what theologians call the Edenic ache or the ache of Eden for friendship. It's this longing, this craving, this desire to be truly known in a friendship. Because in the Garden of Eden, when God created the world, everything was good except for one thing, except for Adam. Why? Because he was alone. No animal was sufficient company for him. What's more, and perhaps what's extremely surprising, is that from God's perspective, Adam's relationship with God was not even sufficient. This is surprising. Again, before the fall, we can conclude that God's relationship with Adam was about as close as it gets pre-fall. He's walking with God in the garden. And yet God looks at Adam and he's like, still not good. There's still something missing here. And so the fact that Adam, even in that state pre-fall, was lonely without other human beings, that has profound implications for how we understand and view ourselves and this topic. That God created Adam, he created you with a need for human companionship and friendship. Friendship and this need, it's built into us. And in friendship, God has shared something of his very self with us. Therefore, I would argue friendship is not just optional. It shouldn't be something that just happens, but it is part of the essence of being an image bearer of God and a flourishing Christian. This theme, uh, if I had more time, I could show us all throughout the Bible where we see the theme of friendship. God often calls those who belong to him his friends. He called Moses his friend, Exodus 33. He called Abraham his friend, Isaiah 41. Jesus called his disciples his friends, Luke 12, 4. Friendship is all over the place in the, the wisdom literature books, and especially in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Scripture again and again and again talks about the need for deep friendship. You can even look at Jesus's high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and argue that in part God's goal in creation is that we might be one as he is one. He being one member of the Godhead within the Trinity, Jesus is saying, I want you to experience that level of intimacy with one another 
as he experiences that with the Father and the Spirit. This is such an important, important topic. It's so theological, but deeply, deeply practical. And yet true friendship, biblical friendship, horizontally with one another is impossible unless you have a vertical friendship with God. And that is something that in God's grace and mercy, God invites us into intimate friendship with him. Isn't that amazing? Like God wants you to be friends with him. And it's not because you have anything worthy in and of yourself. No, it's because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has made you acceptable through his righteousness that's transferred to your account, through his death on the cross that removes your sin and through his resurrection because he has the victory. And if you accept that offer of of salvation in and through Jesus, guess what? You become a friend of God and God is the perfect friend. God is the one who knows you fully and yet loves you deeply. He loves you even though he sees all of you, all of your sin, all of your struggles, all of your doubts, everything. And he sees you and he loves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you there. He's committed to your growth and looking more and more like Jesus. True biblical friendship starts with Jesus. He makes this all possible. Now, as I close uh, this morning, I, I do want to acknowledge the fact that this topic of friendship is very, very difficult for many people. I think this is worth mentioning um, here this morning that you might be here and you might look at friendship and say, I'm never doing that again because of the pain and hurts. Maybe you've been wounded by a close friend. And so maybe you're here and you're like, I'll do the Jesus thing. I'll come to church, but friendship, no, 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 that's, no, I'm done with that. I got burned in the past. The cards are not in it for me to pursue that anymore. And if that's you today, let me just say first and foremost, just how deeply, deeply sorry I am that you have experienced pain in that way by a close friend. Let me just say that that is not God's design for friendship, for you to be hurt and wounded by a close friend. That's not God's desire. It's not what he wants for you. But I'm sorry that you've, you've experienced that in the past. But the second thing I wanna say to you is I actually wanna challenge you this morning. I wanna challenge you with the reality that, that you actually have two choices on the table when it comes to friendship. You can either choose um, choice number one, which is to close up, put up a wall, and say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do this other path of walking alone and open yourself up to the dangers of loneliness. That's option one. Or you can choose option two. Option two is walking by faith and trusting that God's gift of friendship is worth the risk, that it's worth it. It, It's worth the risk of getting hurt. It's worth the risk uh, of letting somebody in, like letting them know the full you, all your junk, and still getting hurt potentially by them and saying, you know what? It's actually more risky to not be known. It's actually more risky 
to, to walk in isolation and, and, and loneliness. Those are the two, table, the two options on the table for you this morning. And let me remind you, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be hurt by close friends. Let me remind you that hours before he was crucified, the night that he was arrested, he was actually betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. That, that Peter denied him three times. This is the night that Jesus needed his friends the most. And where are the 12 disciples? They abandoned him. They, they fled. They, they left him. Peter's denying him. And what's even more powerful to think about is that before Jesus entered relationship with him, he knew exactly that that was going to happen. Jesus sees the end from the beginning. He knew they would abandon him. He, he knew that he would be betrayed and be denied. And yet, he still thought it was worth the risk, that it was worth it. It was worth being in close friendship with others. And my, my question for you, my challenge for you is, is it worth it for you? Is it worth it to take that step and open yourself up and say, you know, this is too beautiful and powerful and needed in the Christian life for me to flourish. I need to step out by faith. Like that is my prayer for you, that you would say, God, open my heart to friendship. God, help me to be the kind of friend I ought to be. God, deepen my friendship with others. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for the many, many gifts that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for, first and foremost, for Jesus and the salvation we have in him. Lord, we thank you that only through Jesus is friendship possible, truly possible, with those around us. So we thank you for him. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you that you've created a new people of God in and through Jesus. And, and one of the beautiful realities within the church is that we get to experience friendship with some. Lord, I thank you for that gift. Lord, would you help us? Lord, this is a challenging topic to know how to do in 2023, Lord, to thank you for, for all of the principles you've given to us in your word. Lord, help us to apply them. Help us to be challenged by them. And Lord, help us to be open to, to stepping out and pursuing friends. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.